Trump says he'd negotiate a third term because he thinks, quote-unquote, we're entitled to it. Representative Pelosi says the House will stay in session until they agree on another relief package, and new evidence makes Hunter Biden's business dealings look even worse than they already did. My name is Noah Huey, and this is Under the Stars. back to another week. Um, my announcements was this week, make sure to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-U-Y-N-O-A-H. Uh, I have merch on my uh, website in the shop section if you want to check that out. And this was an announcement we were going to make through um, an interview today, but um, he started feeling sick. So my friend, close confidant of mine, Levi Wallen, will be hosting our brand new sister slash rival show on Top of the World premiering soon. It was supposed to premiere this uh, this Monday, but uh, he started feeling sick, and so he's going to take some time to get better, and hopefully by next Monday, or the, I suppose I would say the Monday after next, um, he'll be feeling better and be able to do the first episode of his show on Top of the World. But the website's already set up, and he already has his own merch, so if you're interested in supporting the show, uh, helping it get off the ground, I would highly suggest checking it out, maybe buying a, a hoodie. They're eco-friendly if that's your if you're in, into that type of thing, and you've got nice mugs as well. Also, I'd like to formally announce, I formally announced it on my Instagram earlier today, I am writing a second book right now. It's called um, Yes Master. Uh, breaks down the political story of uh, the um, discrepancies of the left and the right, of Republicans and Democrats, and the entire political compass, essentially, and everything inside of it. Um, and uh, I've, I've finished 10 chapters. I'm hoping to finish 10 more. And then I think that's going to be the point to which I will be ready to release it. Um, I've already released a picture of the cover art, which I am going to... I'm going to pull up on my phone right now so you can get an idea of what it looks like. Uh, not entirely sure how much of this you can see, but... Oh, sorry. Um, but this is the uh, cover art for the book, at least for now, unless I change it between now and whenever I release it. So... Anyways, into the news. So Trump earlier this week said he would negotiate a third term because, like he said, he thinks, quote-unquote, we're entitled to it. Let me read this to you because this is probably, this is definitely a big thing that we, that I um, personally was not happy about. So President Trump said Saturday he has plans to, quote-unquote, negotiate to run again in 2024 if he wins re-election in November, his latest in a series of comments that have alarmed critics who say he has a little regard for constitutional boundaries. Um, the second, I'm sorry, I'm reading the, okay, yeah, that's it. That's the whole thing. Um, so the comments, no, here I go. During his rally in, in Minden, Trump predicted he would win re-election and carry Nevada, a state that he lost narrowly in 2016. After that, he said, we'll negotiate, asserting he's probably entitled to another four after that, based on the way we were treated. There are a bajillion reasons why this is bad, why this is wrong, first of all. Uh, constitutional boundaries. Uh, George Washington, I'm just going to pull it up because I always hate misquoting people who say very eloquent things. George Washington, a quote from his is, the Constitution is the guide 
which I will never abandon. Trump would be the exact opposite. His quote would be, Constitution, what's that? Uh, to be fair, they all would say that. But to, but in this specific situation, I'm talking about Trump here. Trump is, is a very big fan, first of all, of executive orders. I'm not a huge fan of executive orders. And it's not because even though they are constitutional, I, the reason I am not a fan of them is because they basically... Um, go over, right over the head of Congress and allow the president to do nearly anything he wants so long as the judges agree with him. That's where uh, having judges who agree with you who are maybe in your same party will be very beneficial and is very beneficial for Trump. So he can pass a, a bajillion executive orders and just get away with doing anything, um, which in some cases is good. In some cases, that's understandable. Um, like he signed an executive order... No, he, he didn't do it. It's actually the U.S. Department of Commerce that announced TikTok's going to get pulled off on Sunday and then officially blocked in U.S. on in November 12th, I think. Um, but this is probably the worst thing he said by far. Well, no, the worst thing he said by far was um, grab women by the you-know-what. Um, but in terms of political statements, this is probably the worst political statement he's made um, because it's just... It's a total disregard for reality. And I know people could be like, well, well, Trump was just joking, though. He was just making jokes. Okay, that's not very funny. Haha, <laughs> I'd go over the Constitution. Okay, that's not funny. We, I mean, people who, who go over their constitutional limits, people who, who even joke about it, that insinuates that there's a piece of their brain that honestly believes that. And let's face it, Trump is someone who I think would honestly believe he should run again. After this guy, after he's out, whether it be this year or next year, or next election cycle, I mean, um, that's all the Trump we need. Donald Trump has proven that it doesn't matter if you're not a politician, you can still suck as much as politicians. Because the whole big goal with electing someone who wasn't a career politician was that they would do something different. But instead of doing something tr different, Trump has done everything the exact same every politician for the last 230-something years has done since the dawn of American history. Since the dawn of political history, Trump has not done anything different. Okay, so either we got it wrong by electing a rich non uh, uh politician political figure or we just got it wrong that was the hope and that's that was a big reason why i supported president trump in 2016 or i guess he was then just uh, donald trump in 2016 was because he's a, a career politician and um and that was a huge thing that i was a fan of because people like um sorry i'm turning down my microphone it's a little loud People like Hillary Clinton, longtime politicians, uh, they had all these horrible things that they were in charge of. Trump had none of that. Sure, he had business dealings and stuff like that. But on one hand, first you got to remember I was like 13 when this happened and I didn't do that much research back then. And two, that's not something when it comes to his political track record, there wasn't much there. So it was something like, hey, this is someone who we can give a shot. And we gave him a shot and he failed. On most levels. On certain levels, I'd say, yeah, did did fine. Did perfectly fine in certain aspects. But in my opinion, the certain aspects that he did get right are not worth having another four years of, of a guy who jokes about um, basically undoing the entire Constitution because he thinks he deserves... He thinks we're entitled because the media was mean to me. I have to run again. I mean... Let's let's say that at first everyone says it's a joke. Let's say he actually were to go through with it. Let's say he were to go through, negotiate, and somehow get a third term, as if that would ever happen. I would hope that would never happen. But 
that happens, and what if he says it again, and then again, and then again, and again, and again, then he gets old, dies, then his one of his sons does it, then maybe one of his daughters does it, and the next thing you know, we've got a Trump dynasty. That was a big thing that worried us about the Bushes running nearly back to back to each other, was the fact that we don't support, um, what's it, dynasties in this nation. This is not a nation of dynasties. That was something that we did when we were, that we were part of when we were still part of England, but we are not. We broke off for that, for one, for that as one of the specific reasons we left because we wanted to avoid dynastic um, governments. Dynastic? Yeah, I think that's the word I'm looking for. Dynastic governments that are, to, that are essentially totalitarian and just hand power down to one family lineage. We don't need that. That doesn't work. That's not, they, they even restrict it in the countries that still technically do it. So, worst political comment to come out of him. Worst. Like, that honestly f makes me fume to think that someone would even so much as joke about undoing the entire constitutional boundaries which have been set before them so that they cannot become corrupt. This is Trump openly admitting that he would become corrupt. We can say, oh, he was joking all day long. But that's the thing, though. We, can't, we can only continue to use that excuse so many times. This is a big reason why I stopped identifying as conservative. Because conservatives are willing to go to the same lengths as liberals to cover up their politicians, their, their, their favorite people's flaws, because they can't admit that those people have those flaws. Gets on my nerves. Worst comment to come out of him, by far. Anyway, that's that. Representative Pelosi says that the House will stay in session until they agree on another relief package. So Republicans passed a relief, uh, a relief um, package. Yeah, a relief package. Uh, I want, or they tried to about um, I want to say a week and a half ago, but uh, the Democrats blocked it off, saying something about it not being enough, or maybe it being I don't remember. They're, they they had specific criticisms that, in my opinion. Um, if I'm remembering them correctly, we're mostly political. Because let's face it, everything the Democrats and the Republicans do against each other, it's not for legitimate reasons. I mean, I doubt anything that happens in government right now in the last five to ten years has been, actually been for good reasons. I'd say most things that have happened in government in the last decade have been purely political. But that's besides the point. So Democrats are trying to work on their own on their own relief package. And uh, Representative Pelosi, Speaker of the House, said that, um, that uh, they're still, and I believe they still are there. So on Tuesday, Representative Nancy Pelosi announced that the White that the House will remain in session until the parties have agreement on another round. That's right. She wants to get it around so that they're. I mean, normally I'd be in support of that. I'm getting them to come to a middle ground. But what that really means is you're going to agree with me, or I'm going to agree with you, or nothing will happen because that's that's the point Democrats and Republicans have come to. So in a conference call with the House Democratic Caucus, the first since the chamber returned from a long summer recess, Pelosi indicated she isn't willing to accept a quote unquote skinny legislative package, but told her troops the chamber's calendar will be extended until an agreement is sealed, according to the sources on the call. Quote unquote. We have to stay here until we have a bill, Pelosi told lawmakers. The surprise development reflects both the severity of public health and economic crises caused by the coronavirus pandemic and the growing pressure Pelosi is facing from the moderate, from the moderate wing of her party, which is clamoring for leadership to vote on another aid package before Congress leaves town again for the elections. The practical effects of the announcements, however, will likely be slight. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer Acknowledged that most lawmakers will likely return to their districts when the scheduled session ends on October 2nd, leaving party leaders seeking to hash out an agreement with the White House. I'm sorry, I lost my spot. With the White House. If such deal emerges, then members would be uh, called back to Washington. In that sense, the dynamics would look very similar to those surrounding the long August recess when Capitol 
when the capital was all but empty. Um, I don't know. I think this is just, like I said before reading all that, 99% of things Democrats and Republicans do is is political. I mean, on one hand, yes, there there truly is a lot of things that they do need to take into consideration, and I did go over some of what I did know about the the bill, the, the package that of relief that the Republicans had announced, but I wasn't too interested in that, mostly because I'm a child and I don't get, like, 90% of that, so... Well, at least I'm a legal child, so, you know, I'm not entirely concerned about it. But to that extent, I think... Um, I mean, on certain hands, I guess I agree with her on the ch- on the idea that it's um it was a little skinny, and um you know we could make I we could make the joke that ah, Republicans save money, ha. Huh? But um at the same time, I think a very large amount of a lot of the things, especially when it comes to this coronavirus uh, relief package thing, is that Democrats want to look like they care about you, because that's that's kind of what they've been running off of since they um not since they started, but since they I would say reformed after about um. At least in the nineteenth, nineteenth, or in the twenty first, twenty and twenty first century, when they started reforming to who they are today, they they you know it's that whole image they're trying to upkeep of we're the party that cares about you um, and stuff like that. So I would say it's mostly for those reasons that she probably wants to add more stuff on. In my opinion, we have we have no the government has been spending so much money on a bunch of things recently, like they always do. Even though our um, our debt is, I think basically exceeding our GDP by a couple trillion dollars, I think. Um, and if I'm wrong on that, then it almost is. Um, and that's, you know, as per usual, people are completely ignoring it, ignoring it, which I'm not a fan of, but at the same time, you know, like on one hand, yes, we do need to pass a relief package, I think, um, for some Americans, because many Americans are still suffering, um, and they do need that help. But at the same time the the whole the like she's just throwing money on there to throw money on there because that's what the democratic party has become known to do we're the party that spends a crap ton of money on a bunch of things that you may or may not use because we want to look like we care about you when the truth is they don't but still to upkeep that image that's the whole that's why they've got to do that so I mean, in this situation, it's just the classic Republicans doing what Republicans do versus what Democrats doing. Democrats doing what Democrats do to to uphold the images they've made for themselves in the last two centuries or so. So, new evidence makes Hunter Biden's uh, Biden Hunter Biden's son, or no, Biden's son Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son Hunter, his business dealings look even worse than they already did. So, we talked about this. This was a huge controversy during the Trump impeachment. Uh, proceedings. We were talking about Hunter Biden's dealing with Burisma, and many people brought up the fact that those were very shady dealings, and that they, it may have been giving money to the Biden family, like dirty money and stuff like that, through other countries, through these businesses that are corrupt in other countries. And uh, in the impeachment proceedings, it was essentially washed over completely, because it was about Trump, not um, not uh, the legitimacy of the people going against him. But... Um, Apparently, new evidence has surfaced that makes Hunter Biden's business deals, uh, as this article says, reek even worse than ever. So, I'm going to real quick mute my thing in case a video comes on. Foreign entities looking to influence American politics sometimes devise lucrative commercial deals involving a politician's family. While the deals can can and do ensure ensnare politicians of all stripes, those involving the Biden family are particularly troubling. The transactions 
are implicate U.S. national security. While Joe Biden served as vice president, his son Hunter received offers from foreign governments and oligarchs in areas where he had little or no experience. That his foreign partners included... That his foreign partners included a rival state, communist China, makes these arrangements particularly brazen, even by Washington's swampy standards. Newly released Secret Service travel records for Hunter paint a clearer picture of how extensive these efforts were. The documents, reviewed by Judicial Watch, show that between 2009 and 2014, Hunter made 411 trips across 29 countries. Some of those trips were while some of those trips perhaps were perhaps leisure and others related to his volunteer work for the World Food Program, many of them appear to be connected to deals that he or his associates either secured or sought with foreign governments and oligarchs. For example, Hunter visited China five times between 2009 and 2014. Most notoriously, he traveled with his father aboard Air Force Two in December 2013 as part of an official visit with Chinese officials. Ten days after the return to Washington, Hunter and his associates partnered with a state-owned Bank of China and formally to formally establish BHR, a new first-of-its-kind fund aimed at making investments outside China through the newly established Shanghai Free Trade Zone. When this deal was first revealed in, in Peter Schweizer's book Secret Empires, Team Biden attempted to paint Hunter as a passive participant involved in the formation of BHR, arguing that, quote-unquote, other business partners had laid the groundwork for it in a June 2013 meeting. But the new travel records revealed that Hunter was, in fact, in Beijing in 2013, Hunter's trips to China are also uh, interests of light in are also of interest in light of what happened with another company he co-founded and served as a board advisor, Rosemont Reality. In 2015, that firm sold a majority stake to a Gemini, a Chinese to Gemini, a Chinese state-owned company. There is evidence of extensive foreign dealings going beyond China, including the well-known case involving the corrupt energy company Burisma in Ukraine. According to corporate board records released as part of a criminal trial in New York, Hunter's business partners bragged about their relationships with powerful figures around the world. One matter, men one matter mentioned was a $200 million deal involving Yalinta Beturina, a powerful Russian oligarch formerly married to Moscow's mayor. Hunter visited Moscow in February 2012, according to the travel records. The nature of his relationship with Baturina isn't publicly known, but, but Kirill, I don't want to pronounce this wrong, Kirill Zakrain, who managed investments for Baturina at the time, listed himself as an advisory board member of Rosemont Reality, Hunter's firm. Zakrain now helps run the Russian government's housing finance company, DOMRF. But the most troubling aspect of Hunter's relationship with foreign entities isn't simply that a politician's family is getting wealthy. That's all too common. It's the, that his large, largest partner overseas appears to be the Chinese government, a brutal totalitarian regime fast emerging as America's major 21st century advisory, adversary advisory. And some of their commercial deals have clear implications for national security. Not long after its founding, BHR, the investment firm, became involved in a string of high-profile deals involving sensitive national security concerns. BHR received a pre-public offering stake in a state-controlled nuclear company now under federal indictment for espionage. It involved strategic mineral resources in Africa, and it partnered with a Chinese military contractor to purchase a Michigan-based manufacturer of vibranium vibration dampening equipment which is used to transport systems but is considered quote-unquote dual use by the federal government i.e. it has military applications 
During all these deals, Hunter Biden sat on the firm's board of directors. His close friend and business partner, Devon Archer, was BHR's vice chairman and a member of the investment committee. Joe Biden has pledged that his family will not do any new foreign deals if he is elected president. This is an echo of a promise President Trump made in December 2016. Such promises are largely, largely meaningless. But beyond securing new deals, the current Biden commercial relationships are troubling enough. While Hunter Biden resigned from the board of BHR under the glare of public attention, he retains his equity stake in the firm, and the full extent of his relationships through his other business cannot be known, and the Bidens are not talking. So, that is a mouthful of information. This is the, I don't usually read articles all the way through, obviously. I usually read about half of it and then just state my opinion on the general topic, but this is something I wanted to go in depth with. Because it's pretty, it, it is pretty interesting. Um, I had already had a suspicion that Hunter Biden had his, had his um, toe in the water of corruption for a very long time. And I already know Joe Biden has had his toe and that has his whole, he, he's in the pool of corruption. He's swimming around. He's having a good time. But I've known Hunter was a part of it as well. Um, that was a, the weirdest analogy ever. I apologize. Um, but, I mean, there's not much more for me to say. The, the article I just read sums it up quite, uh, quite nicely, in my opinion. Um, and it, it sums up basically everything that I, that I would intend to say. It's just, it's troubling to see that, um, the son of a man who's running for the presidency has a lot of dealings, even though he's not officially connected with them, he still is connected with them one way or another, um, uh, and making his family wealthy with our largest a adversary. Uh, that's another big, Biden would make a horrible president. I mean, given, based off his, um, Based off of both of his promises and uh, his track record, he seems to initiate to essentially he would essentially just kind of bow down to everything China tells him. Um, I doubt he would be tough on China the way Trump is. But the thing is, though, the problem with Trump's toughness on China, I like it. It's just he goes way too far. He pushes them to the edge. He's not willing to try and at least be like, you know, smart about it. He just flat out goes, China, you're stupid, you're dumb, I hate you, and, and just like, if they decide, oh, fine then, we'll, we'll do this thing, we'll, you know, we'll blow up this country, he'd be like, uh, oh, that's your fault, you're still stupid and dumb, whereas Biden, simply, if, if China says, if China says jump, Biden says how high, um, and I think, should any of this information truly, if a lot of this implied information, and a lot of this corruption that seems to be I mean, with a fair amount of um, reason to believe going on, this makes Biden look incredibly bad, especially going into the presidency. I mean, the security risk of Biden, whose family has, a, has these intricate dealings with one of the worst countries, arguably the worst country on the planet, um, as the highest official in our, in our country, is, is, very, is a huge national security concern. And um, it's a big reason why Trump, why Biden um, is not a good fit for the presidency, um, among other things. Let's see, that's, I'm trying to decide when or, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll say it after this. So, Trump helps push for the um, Abraham Accord between the UAE, Bahrain, and Israel. So, um, as we all know, if we know anything about, this was the topic I was supposed to talk about with my friend Levi Wallen, who's sick. Again, follow his show. Of, you can find the website. I've got a link, a button at the bottom of my page where you can click on that link and it'll go straight to his website. Um, feel free to support him. Buy his merch. It's a, there's an eco-friendly eco fr eco eco hoodie on there. There's a nice mug on there if you want to grab one. Um, with prices that are much better than the ones I've got right now, which I do intend on, 
I'm playing with a little bit. But anyway, so we what, what he was going to talk about a little bit was the history about this. I mean, we all know the deal with Israel with how, in my opinion, the U.S. Um, is trying to play daddy to, to Israel way too much. We need to just leave them alone. We need to leave everyone alone, in my opinion, instead of trying to play at all their business, such as all the corruption we help do in undermining democracies in countries we don't want there to be democracies in. But um, so... In terms of the Israel, we know most of these countries are either completely opposed or starting to open up to the idea of having Israel as an actual state. Most of them don't even recognize Israel as a legitimate state um, yet. Um, but uh, Trump has had the UAE, or he helped have the UAE and um, Bahrain sign this agreement with Israel, and I will read about that. So President Trump presided over a White House signing ceremony Tuesday of agreements establishing formal ties between Israel and two Arab states, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, saying the accords would change the course of history. With trumpet flourishes and speeches under flags of all four nations, Trump, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin, I don't know how to pronounce this man's name, I've never have, Netanyahu, Netanyahu, something like that, and the UAE and Bahraini uh, foreign ministers addressed an invited crowd seated in seasonably cool sunshine on the South Lawn. The agreements marked the third and fourth Arab nations to normalize relations with Israel, the first since Jordan took the step, the step in 1994 following Egypt in 1979. Trump took full credit for setting the path and encouraging them to take, take it. A White House statement attributed to success to quote-unquote foreign policy vision to his foreign policy vision and acumen as a deal maker. But the countries involved, Trump said Tuesday, quote unquote, had to make that choice themselves. Um, first of all, um, first, I was impressed that he actually gave them credit for, for doing this. Knowing Trump, he's very big on taking the credit. And as the White House statement has shown, he's still doing that to an extent. But the fact that he was like, um, that's all I could do. Everyone else would have to take their own path. That's pretty impressive in my opinion in terms of the uh, not the legitimacy but the the true historic nature of this of this agreement it is historic don't get me wrong um again first first time since um 1994 so that's some almost 30 years yeah about some 30 30 or so years um so that's pretty that's nice it's good to see that there are former relations but to be completely fair those two nations did in, in a way already kind of start normalizing relations with israel over the course of time, uh, naturally, but it is nice to see the formal signing to say, okay, here is, here's it happening. Um, I have no real words about this. My only thing about Israel, because people love debating Israel for hours and hours on end, I don't like it. It's very annoying and boring, but um, my only thing about Israel is I, we can sit here and debate its past all day long. That is perfectly fine, but I don't want to. I'm not interested in debating the past. We can talk about the past and study it, but I don't want to sit here and debate it for 30 hours as if we can just go back and change it, because we can't. My only interest in terms of the future of Israel and its relationship with, the, um, with many of these other Arab nations all around it is that we leave them all alone. Naturally, I mean, on one hand, I understand the concerns that the that many of these countries have their anger towards these countries, specifically Iran and Palestine, who are the Iran being the chief among of these nations who are incredibly upset. I believe there was an Iranian nationalist who um, fired into a crowd of people in Israel, and that was a horrible thing, uh, like two years ago or something. And you know, but my biggest problem with this is that the United States tends to play mommy and daddy to the, to Israel, and we don't leave them alone. Leave them alone. They can fend for themselves. If they call upon our help, I will, I'm will. i gladly in support of, hey, if it's something that bad, sure, we can step in. I don't like playing the world's police, but 
I think at this point, it's good to step in for people, for, for nations we care about. And on the other hand, it's nice to see other nations, or Rob Nations, be able to go, okay, this is it. Like, I, again, we can debate the past all day long. We can debate the legitimacy of Israel as a state all day long about its creation, yada, yada, yada. But here's the thing. The point is it doesn't matter what you, the conclusion you come to about that debate because that happened in the past. Unless you have a time machine, you can go back and change that based on the conclusion of, of, of the debate you're having right now. There's no point in having that debate. The debate that I see is important is its future. Now that it's here, now that it's been here for a while and, then, and stuff has been happening for now, we need to, in my opinion, step out of their business, but be able to help push for stuff like this. Um, because at this point, in my opinion, I think the, these Rob Nations do need to come to terms with the fact that it's here. And obviously, apparently, everyone else in the world really wants it here. Okay? And it's a point of, we now have to decide, okay, where do we go from here? And I think certain nations like the UAE now and Bahrain doing stuff like this, at least formally, is a good decision, in my opinion. Um, and that's... That's what I have to say about that. So, you know, pretty nice. Pretty nice. Not bad. Um, again, make sure to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-U-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. And uh, I have merch on my web on my website in my shop section. And I'm releasing my new book. I'll start making that a weekly, oh, like um, a seasonal piece of news. Or I don't know. Update for you. A seasonal reminder that I'll just bring up every now and then. So. This is a huge piece of news. A Chinese virologist, previously in hiding, comes out with a claim COVID-19 was made in a Wuhan lab. And we're not talking about what you're talking about, what you're thinking about. So I'm about to read this. Oh, I thought they cut off the article. So, Dr. Li Mengyang... Yan, sorry, the scientist who said that she has researched the highly contagious disease last year, spoke out in an interview Friday, September 11th, on the British talk show Loose Women. Speaking from a secret location, Dr. Yan made her comments about attempts to cover up the issue. Oh, I missed the first line. A Chinese virologist previously in hiding has stepped out and claims to have scientific evidence that the coronavirus disease, COVID-19, was actually made in a Wuhan lab in China. Quote, the virus is not from nature. Dr. Yan then working for the University of Hong Kong School of Public Health, was asked to study a cluster of cases from a quote-unquote unknown virus back in December 2019. She explained since he got, she got both her degrees from the mainland, she can speak Mandarin and was therefore tasked to be a part of the secret investigation about what was supposedly a new strain of pneumonia. She said that after reporting her findings to her superior, who was also a consultant for the World Health Organization, both her superiors and the WHO reportedly had no response and warned her, quote-unquote, don't cross the line and be silent, or keep silent, I'm sorry. Finding the issue urgent, she contracted a famous Chinese YouTuber based in the United States. In the Exposed, which was in Chinese, explained that, one, the Chinese government was just covering the COVID-19 virus. Two, there is already human-to-human -human transmission of the disease, and three, there is a quote-unquote high mutant virus that will become the outbreak soon, and four, the Wuhan seafood market and the intermediate hosts for the virus are just a smokescreen. Dr. Yan added, the final thing is, this virus is not from nature. This is based in the China Military Institute that discovered and owned some bad coronavirus names CC45 and ZXC41, based on based on that after lab modification becomes novel, novel virus. The whistleblower also noted that her intelligence from the CDCs in China, from local doctors and from doctors and other people in China. 
When host Christine Lampert asked where does it come from then, Dr. Yan answered that, the, that it is in the lab in Wuhan controlled by the Chinese government. Since January, up until she has fl- had to flee China in April, the female virologist claimed to have continued studying the virus. Working with a group of scientists, Dr. Li Minyang plans to release her report on the coronavirus, which I think she has. I would love to read it at some point. To conclusively prove that the virus indeed came from the Wuhan lab, her scientific report will include the genome sequence of the virus. She explained that the genome sequence for, vi- for a virus similar is similar to fingerprints in humans. This will prove why the coronavirus came from the Wuhan lab and quote-unquote why they are the only ones who made it. She even assured the hosts of the show that anyone, even if you have no biology knowledge, you can read it and you can check it and identify and verify by yourself. Um, This is the critical thing for us to know the origin of the virus, Dr. Yan said, adding that people can't overcome it, it it will be life-threatening for everyone. When asked whether she worried about her safety, the whistleblower said, From the beginning, I, decide, I decided to deliver this message out into the world. Very scary at that time, but I know that's the thing I have to do because I'm the doctor, I'm the scientist. You can watch the full interview here. This is huge news. Now, I don't want to play the conservative card of, Oh, it was made in China! Because they've been saying that for months. But they've been saying that for months not because of science, they've been saying that because of political reasons. Because they've noticed small inconsistencies in reports from the media and from their political opposition. And so they're like, this is, a, this is something they could use. However, this backs up a lot of their claims. Even if it means some of them got it wrong in certain places, this could be a huge thing. This will give many conservatives a lot of ego in our nation. I don't care about that. Cut the political hopknob, cut it all out, throw it in the trash. That's where all the politics of this thing needs to go. Scientifically, and I, I do plan on reading her report if I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, it may have come out. I do intend on reading that report at some point, but on a scientific basis alone, if I were to t- pull up that report written by her and these other scientists, and it were to, in fact, prove that the, it had the same, that the genomes, and I want to make sure I'm reading this right because I don't want to sound like an idiot, the, the genome sequence for the virus is similar to fingerprints in humans. If that, if that truly is proven... This, I believe, would be considered an act of war on the Chinese government. The fact that she's saying that the Wuhan seafood market thing about the bats was all a giant smokescreen, that there's a mutant virus, a virus about to become the problem, this is a major huge problem. Because as far as I'm concerned, this is China declaring war on the entire planet. Let's face, let's face the facts about this situation, right? One, China wants everyone to be like them. All, all totalitarian, authoritarian governments like that, that are these one-party states, and a lot like us, like the way we're becoming with a two-party state that's slowly dissolving and over-militarized police, countries like us, who could turn into countries like China, these authoritarian, one-sided political states want everyone to be like them. Religiously, politically, scientifically, they want everything to go the way they want it. China is king of being a nation that wants everyone to be like them. It's It's... I don't want to call it the new Nazi Germany, but they work on, this, on that similar wave, wave, wavelength of thought. Nazi Germany had this ridiculous idea that everyone had to be like me or you had to die. China has a very similar mindset. That's why the Uyghurs are in concentration camps and the Muslims are dying. That's why protesters who want freedom are being murdered by their police. And that's why it, it's that's why the government is, it runs everything. Because it wants everyone to be like them. 
So this idea that the, that the Chinese government would create a virus in a lab and throw the world off guard, destroy its politics because it knows that politically every other nation is weaker than them because every other party, especially the political parties in our country, had that same wavelength as them, but there's multiple of them, so they're going to have inner fighting, collapses our governments, they can come right in and take it over. It makes perfect sense on the Chinese government's part, all right? Because, they, again, they are the prime example of a 21st century nation that just wants everyone to be like them or die. Again, I'm going to, whenever I can find it, read this report in its full length. Sit down for however long it takes, go in depth, take some notes, and figure out what the truth is. And try and, I'll, I'll reach out to every person I can think of that knows anything about biology. I'll reach out to my, to my own freaking biology teacher and be like, what, how, how does this compute with you? on a non-political level, just science. How does this compute? Which is, And it's going to be hard for our official scientists, because let's face it, I've, I'm starting to come to this conclusion that science is being bought out by politics. It's becoming incredibly um, apparent to me that our scientists, scientists around the world, even some, are just being bought out, especially when we have officials of the World Health Organization telling this woman to keep silent. Not just her, not just her immediate superior who represents China in the WHO, but the WHO itself, representatives who are not her immediate Chinese superiors telling her to shut up. That's proof, that helps prove this theory of mine that science is being bought out by politics. If any of this is true, this is China declaring an act of war on the entire planet and should be taken with the utmost serious. Forget your stupid Biden versus Trump, lesser of two evils bullcrap. China is literally committing biological warfare on the planet, and we're sitting here worrying about to, which, whatever pedophile rapist we want to elect for president. Really? How can that possibly be your biggest concern, if any of this is true? And that's how you are supposed to go into investigations like these, by assuming that they could be true. Under the assumption that this could even partially be true, is a horribly dangerous thing, not just for America, but for every country that respects freedom and liberty on Earth. Because China does not. And it never will. Never has, never will. And so we need to be taking that as one of our prime things. And I'm not even talking about like just immediately going, oh, it's true, I'm going, we need to find out. That should be our top priority after this election. That needs to be a top priority about this election. We need to talk about that there's a chance, even just a slight chance, a 0 0.5, 0.3, 0 0.2, 0.001% chance that this could be true. That is monumentally, detrimentally dangerous to the entire planet and every country, every nation that respects liberty ever. What does this mean? And is it true? That needs to be our, our main priority when talking about this issue. But I doubt it will be. Because Democrats, Republicans, Trump, Biden, the left, the right, the entire political compass is going to completely sweep it under the rug or be too obnoxious about it instead of treating it with a sense of rationality and severity. We need to, we need to be passionate about this. Don't get over-emotional about it. I know that makes no sense. That doesn't make any sense at all, but we need to be passionate about it while still remaining logical about the situation. We need to go under this with the assumption that it could be a 0.001% chance true and find out because this is humongous news if true. So with that out of the way, 
We're going to talk another bad thing. It's a bad week. Bad week. An ICE detainment center in Georgia has revealed to have been giving non-consensual hysterectomies to detainees. What? Okay, let me read this. A whistleblower has come forward to expose serious allegations of medical malpractice at a for-profit U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Detention Center in Osceola, Georgia. The whistleblower, excuse me, who was until recently employed as a nurse at the Irwin County Detention Center, worked with several non-governmental organizations to file two complaints with the Department of Homeland Security Oversight Agencies. The first complaint details the factories, the facilities, factories, the facilities' failure to take COVID-19 precautions and provide adequate medical care. The second contains allegations that women detained at the facility, not faculty, <laughs> were given hysterectomies, sometimes without their consent, at an unusually high rate. LaSalle Corrections is a private prison company that the federal government contracts to operate the Irwin County Detention Center that is the subject for the complaint. It orders a total of 18 facilities over the southern United States, which can hold up to 18,000 people collectively. The whistleblower, Don Wooten, says worked as a nurse at the ICE facility for three years. Wooten's doctor had informed her that contracting COVID-19 would likely be deadly due to her sickle cell anemia. Despite her high-risk status, the facility failed to provide her with proper personal um, protective equipment. She was never informed that some of her patients had tested positive for COVID-19. Later, she had COVID-19 symptoms and was pending test results. The facility required her to work against her doctor's recommendation. The problems don't end there. Wooten also states the facility underreported cases, refused to test detained individuals experiencing COVID-19 systems, hoarded PPE for high-ranking staff, and locked away their two testing machines. She reports that the medical staff tore up requests for medical appointments, falsified temperatures, and failed to follow up on test results. The second complaint also alleges that an unusually high amount of women detained in the Irwin facility were given hysterectomies, all by the same off-site gynecologist. Some of the women said they did not consent to the procedure or understand why they needed it. One woman reported that the doctor removed her healthy ovary instead of the one that needed removal. And I could go on. It goes way more in depth than this if you want. <laughs> if you honestly want to read more about this horrible stuff, just send me an email. I, I think my email is linked on my Instagram page or send me a message on Instagram and I'll send you the link to this article. This is horrible, okay? Huge humanitarian problem going on in this center. No precautions being taken. Woman who could get high, who's high risk for COVID-19 may have it, not taking any precautions to protect her, and giving detainees often non-consensual hysterectomies. What is up with that? Okay? And often messing up the procedure, removing healthy ovaries? Well, who did you hire? Who's your gynecologist that you're hiring off-site? Winnie the Pooh? That was a horrible example. Eh, a small stuffed teddy bear would be horrible at being a gynecologist anyway, because they don't have organs. Uh, so, what, like, this is just awful. The, I believe the Georgia City Council has refused or has made falsified statements about this. I don't want to, I don't want to state any on non-correct information, so I'm not going to say that's absolutely true. But I can definitely say without a doubt, this is a humanitarian crisis, guys. But not good. I'm not against ICE. I'm not against 90% of the things I do. I think they, um... We just basically just turn an eye to them and be like, oh, yeah, catch illegal immigrants. And then we don't go, oh, wait, you're holding them in horrible, horrible conditions. And like half of you aren't doing what you're like. If we're going to do this, if we're going to detain people and I like we detain uh, uh, people in these facilities, uh, at least give them somewhat respectable accommodations, especially during a time like this. 
um, and that's a huge problem I think conservatives overlook. Like the problem with ICE is that we, I don't think they're very heavily funded in any way. And so we just kind of like give them chump change and then we're like, all right, have fun with that. And that's what leads to stuff like when Obama started setting up these horrible conditions that Trump has only continued, the quote-unquote cages. They're not literal cages, but, I mean, they're, they're about as close to a cage as you can get without just being a cage. So, you know, when Obama built these, it sucked. When Trump didn't do anything about them, it sucked. So stuff like this, like, we just kind of, whatever. This is huge. Humanitarian problem, guys. This needs to get fixed, and now, because that's not something that you just, ah, we can do it next Tuesday. No, that needs to happen, like, now, because that's a huge problem. Um, so, that's that. Anyway, you're going to love this next one. This one's kind of funny. Biden goes to a new low. So, he Biden went to a um, Hispanic Heritage event to, to support his presidency, his candidacy, and... Um, if this plays the right video, I would love for you to hear it because it is so funny. It is just about the funniest thing I've seen ever. So Biden goes to a Hispanic Heritage event. He's trying to build um, support for his presidency and all that. Um, I don't know what time I'm going to go back to the article. And he walks up to the podium in this in this Hispanic Heritage event and he holds up his phone and he, he goes, he, go, he kind of goes like this. He goes, I just got one thing to say. And he kind of goes like this. And he clicks on it. And it starts playing Despacito. And he starts going... For like a full 35-40 seconds. So Joe Biden raised on Tuesday evening over his attempt to appeal his, to Hispanic voters at a campaign event in Kissimmee, uh, Florida? Yeah. The, the event was meant to commemorate commemorate the Hispanic Heritage Month. The Democratic candidate was the last speaker to take the podium following several supporters, including Eva Longoria, Ricky Martin, and Louis Fonzi. However, when Biden approached the podium, he paused and reached for his phone in his pocket. I just have one thing to say, Biden began as he looked down at his phone. Hang on here. And then, his phone, held to the microphone, which began to play the 2017 hit song Despacito from Fonzi, who had introduced the candidate. After roughly 15 seconds of bobbing his head and gently dancing to the podium, he paused the music. I'll tell you what, if I had the talent of any one of these people, I'd be elected president by acclamation, Biden chuckled. Critics piled on the former VP over the, I love the way the, the Fox has it labeled, cringe moment. Oh my, CBS News correspondent Ed O'Keefe reacted. Does Joe Biden realize that Despacito means slowly? Fits with slow Joe, Trump campaign senior advisor uh, Mercedes Schlapp. This is so unbelievably cringe, tweeted, uh, I think it's pronounced Ariel Davidson, a senior policy analyst at the Jewish Institute of National Security of America. Earlier in that day, Biden turns head when he bungled the Democratic ticket, toting plans under a quote-unquote Harris-Biden administration, which is essentially the Biden presidency anyway. It's just Kamala Harris as president and Joe Biden's there somewhere else. Um, this, this is... In my comparison, I said this is Biden's equivalent to Trump 2016 eating a taco saying that he loves Hispanics. That's about when it comes to pandering people so that they'll vote for you. Biden playing Despacito at a Hispanic heritage event is his equivalent of Donald Trump eating out of a taco bowl, a taco bowl in Trump Tower saying that he loves Hispanic people. It was so ridiculous. And as it said, cringe. 
And um, I loved every second of that video, but it makes me want to die inside that we honestly think this moron is fit for the presidency in any way. I love it. Final piece of news for the day. Trump is to sign an executive order, quote-unquote, the 1776 Commission to push for patriotic schooling. Let's, let me give you, well, uh, well, let me, let's just read this and then you'll understand. President Trump announced Thursday that he will sign an executive order to promote, quote-unquote, patriotic education in the United States. I will soon sign the, an executive order establishing National Commission to promote patriotic education. It will be called the 1776 Commission. Trump made the comments while speaking at the National Archives. It will encourage our educators to teach our children about the miracle of American history and make plans to honor the 250th anniversary of our founding. It's not yet clear how the commission will function. At a White House press conference in early September, Trump, who has also called for patriotic education in the past, blamed recent violent protests on quote-unquote left-wing indoctrination in schools. Many young Americans have been fed lies about America being a wicked nation plagued by racism, Trump said. Um, according to a report, Trump argued that children should be taught America as a country worth defending and protecting. Um, quote-unquote, the only path to unity is to rebuild a shared national identity focused on common American values and virtues of which we have plenty. This includes restoring patriotic education in schools where they are trying to change everything we have learned. So, a huge misconception about that uh, conservatives that Republicans have about the reason why so many young people, why so many people in our nation become liberal and stuff like that, but why they're so the way they are about people in the nation in general, about even the way some conservatives act, is that it's the evil, the, the evil uh, public schooling, which is indoctrinating them to be liberals. The, they, they have this ridiculous, this ridiculous notion that, uh, that the school boards are sitting in dark rooms petting white cats going, you know, going, ah, yes, how will we indoctrinate the children to be liberals like us? <laughs> like, that's honestly what these morons think what's going on. And so, what is their response to this idea that possibly they're, they're, the children are being indoctrinated into the opposite political uh, side of the spectrum? Indoctrinate them onto our side! <laughs> like, that doesn't solve the problem. No, schooling, as I've said multiple times when, when morons on the right have been like, ah, yes, this is the greatest thing in the history of the world! No, school is supposed to be about relaying information at a basic level to be consumed and absorbed by students so they can understand the past and its complexities. Not tell people that America is perfect and great and we've never done anything wrong in 200 and something years. That's not true. It, it, and first of all, let's clear one ma the major misconception. Schools aren't indoctrinating children to be leftists. They're not. They just suck. The system that we have of education, the factory model, just doesn't work, and it never did work. It was designed by a Prussian dictator to create people that would worship him and not question anything he does. So it doesn't matter who's in charge of the public education system, whether it be Republicans or Democrats, liberals or conservatives, the way the system is run, people will follow that ideology uh, um, without question in a heartbeat. 
And there's multiple reasons why. First of all, factory education, according to multiple studies, one the most the one I remember the most um, would be the one. There's a couple from Washington, and then there's one from the University of Boston um, that show that students don't learn well under the system of being told information and then just being told to repeat it, giving a bunch of paperwork to do. The the real the true purpose of this educational system, um, as it was designed in Prussia, was to set them up for factory. To, be, to do factory work, because it was uh, the Industrial Revolution. Factories were the new, the new thing, so everyone was going to a factory. So, so what happens is, we got the bell structure, we got, you got to have your paperwork, it's, a, it's set you up for a 9 to 5 schedule. It, it, it's not about academia. Academia is more about the absor- the, uh, that absorption of information, of being told something and having a conversation back and forth about the information and the complexities of it. Because the truth about humanity and everything we have ever done is that we are complex. We are not a simplistic, we're not like these simplistic little things that's like, oh, it's good versus evil. No, it's not good versus evil. The world is one giant straight of gray. There's no black and white at all. You've been making up this culture war of us versus them and they're the bad guys to fit your political narrative so that everyone believe what you believe, exactly the way China thinks. This is what I mean when I'm saying China wants to undermine this, our entire nation's democracy because of the fact they know that our political parties, the two most prevalent figures in our government, think exactly like they do. It would collapse the American country because none of these people care about anything but themselves. The education system, the way it is designed now, in that factory model, within five to ten years, students are completely disinterested in learning anything because they've been taught that education is a task. It's a chore to complete. It's not something interesting and profound. And so by the time they get to high school, they have to have their parents and teachers tell them to make it interesting. You shouldn't have to make education interesting. It is by itself. The problem is, school as it is now, public education, is not education. It's, it's, it's work. It's the chore. And that is why many people are left intellectually ripped off. That's why they have to rely on their feelings, and that's why very often, if they're, they often turn out liberal, because liberals are very feelings-based, at least in the modern day. Modern-day liberals are very feelings-based and stuff like that. And those of them who come out conservatives, they're simply um, put under the same under this certain view, but they still have the emotional tendencies because they have hardly any cognitive cognitive function. That's why it takes nearly 25 years for you, on top of the fact that it takes up to 25 years for you to actually have a brain that thinks with logic. That probably and I can't say this on a scientific level in any way, that would be dishonest of me, but it would be my assumption that it sometimes it becomes even longer. Maybe it's 30 years, maybe it's 35, maybe we're talking 40 or 50 years before you ever get to truly cognitively think. My, my point is the education system the way it is leaves you with a, a warped perception of what truth is, of what logic is. And so what logic is by the time you get out is whatever confirms your narrative about the world, your tiny little view that you have built inside of your head. If you truly want to fix education, if you truly want to fix these problems that it does have, making people talk about how great America is won't solve that problem. You're doing the same thing the liberals are doing, but just the opposite way. You want to fix education? Make it education. Change it up. Let the system be more about sitting down and having conversations. I get that. That, that, that's the, it's harder to take in those stupid standardized grades, and you can still fit in certain ways to do that. I mean, take AP classes. They work like college classes. These college classes, the way they work is a lot of our time, a lot of the time we're sitting and we may, we may take notes on what's happening. And then discussion was a huge part of the class. We took discussions and we were still able to take 
questions. So they tests about the things we discussed. And very often, compared to the past, I would say I personally, between an AP class and a regular class, learned so much more and was able to retain that information truly and be able to appreciate it, especially when it came to history, because I was able to sit down and have a conversation with people who didn't agree with me on it. And we were able to sit down and discuss these ideas. That's why education is so important, because it can be so wonderful, and it can teach people so many things. But the way it's set up now, it doesn't do that. And this ridiculous notion that, that, that making people worship America and everything we've ever done will not save us, and it won't unify us. Trump is scrambling to unify the nation, just like Biden is, to, ha to have something to get elected on. And it's a pathetic attempt to do that because it's not going to work. And on top of that, it's only going to harm the minds of young Americans even more than it are, they already are because they're going to have angry liberals who are going to tell them, no, you can't worship America. And you're going to have angry conservatives who tell them they absolutely have to and everything it does. What needs to happen in our education system is it needs to be simply about sitting down and talking about information doing a, a, a guiding sheet, taking notes, being able to actually have these conversations, real conversations, not five-minute conversations that because you want to move on to the next assignment. I'm sick and tired of just doing a bunch of pieces of paper. That's not learning. That's work. Work is not learning. And that's why so many people in our country are, the, are so monumentally stupid. That's why. Because you're giving them work their whole lives, and you're not teaching them anything. Fix that, and our nation not only will our people be smarter, we will be able to fix so many of our country's problems just by letting people actually learn things. Having genuine conversations about the things that are happening. And uh, that's that. I'm very passionate about this because... I am very against this specific thing. This is the worst thing, probably the worst political thing, piece of legislation, anything Trump has passed in the last four years. And it's another reason why he is not fit to be the president. At all. So. Thanks for watching this week's episode. Uh, I'm not sure how long it was, but uh, I'm sure it was pretty long. Uh, again, make sure to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-E-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. I have merch on my shop if you'd like to see it. My friend Levi Wallen will hopefully soon be hosting our sister show on top of the world, talking about world news, the history of the a lot of the world news. He's going to introduce some comedy into it. You know, make it a little more lighthearted than my show. Um, which is perfectly fine. Uh, if you want to help support his show or support my show, you can go to my website, go to the shop section, get some merch, or you can go to his website. You can get some merch for him and help support kickstart that show. Thanks so much for listening in this week, and I will make sure that I see you again next week. Bye-bye.